to me, I define bank tech as technologies that enable a bank to perform better for its customers and for its own profitability and efficiency. Welcome to the Operate Podcast, where we give you a behind the scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the Operate Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by Bank Tech Ventures, the first strategic investment fund designed by the community banking industry for community bank innovation and investment. Bank Tech identifies leading products and technologies for community banks and works with the founders and management teams to maximize the impact for community banks and their businesses. If you're a bank looking to innovate and invest in the future or a founder who wants to work with community banks, reach out to Bank Tech Ventures at banktechventures.com. I'm super excited to have my friend Wayne Miller with me today, and it's been an absolute pleasure to call Wayne a partner and also really a friend now after our last year and a half together. He is such a good collaborator, probably because like me, he's a serial entrepreneur. He's a master at analogies. We'll talk about that uh, some today. And he's really been at the center of community bank technology innovation for the last over half decade. Uh, he's currently the SVP of innovation programs at the ICBA, which uh, for some, the Independent Community Bankers of America, uh, which is an association that comprises almost all community banks in the country. Prior to that, he was the executive director at the Venture Center, which was an entrepreneurial service organization, um, also was named the top fintech accelerator in the world while he was there. He's also a general partner in Bank Tech Ventures with me. He's founded and led several companies. He's led sales and business development teams in a number of different industries, which always gives an interesting perspective. And as Wayne often says, you don't have a business if people aren't buying your stuff. Wayne, thanks for joining me today. Really excited to record this conversation. Gary, first of all, thank you. I, um, I am blessed to call you a friend and a partner. You know, it has been an amazing 18 months together since we started Bank Tech Ventures. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just the way our ecosystem has come together, again, you know, just certain things happen. And when they happen beautifully and organically and naturally, the way this has gone, it's really been a blessing and a privilege. And, and I'm grateful to, to spend some time with you on the podcast. And uh, you said way too many nice things about me there. So hopefully I'll, I'll try to keep that uh, in play as, as we go through the rest of this conversation. But thanks for having me on the podcast. It's a privilege. Absolutely. And and so much that I, I just know you have to share with uh, with my audience. So that that's really why I wanted to do this uh, amongst the fact that I always enjoy chatting with you. So let's jump off and talk about bank tech. I don't think this is a super well understood topic. Certainly fintech has been a very commonly used word over the last decade or so. But let's start with bank technology or bank tech. How, like, what does that mean to you? How do you define that in your mind? Um, you know, I was kind of driven to my definition of that because of the fact that I was serving uh, clients whose customers were banks, right? So when I got into this industry, I never saw initially that path until I started to evaluate companies of the difference between what I will call enabling a bank as opposed to disintermediating a bank. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I look at sort of defining what do I think of bank tech is I look at it as technology and paths of innovation, which I think are two different things, because I think innovation and technology oftentimes gets confused, right? That enables a bank to be 
more profitable, perhaps more efficient, and to better serve its customers, and hopefully, ultimately, make a difference in the, the communities in which they serve, particularly as we talk about community banking, right? So to me, I define bank tech as technologies that enable a bank to perform better for its customers and for its own profitability and efficiency. Okay, great, great place to start. So you've been working in this space now with these bank technology entrepreneurs, as you talked about, and hundreds of community banks for several years. What are the the few key things that you've learned through those interactions? Yeah, that's a great question, a big question, because, you know, I think one of the things, Carrie, is it's changed so much in the last six or seven years, you know, so mm-hmm. when I first started at this, and and I think you know this, I, I, I don't profess to be any expert in fintech. I think I've developed some expertise, but that's really come from listening to the customers and the stakeholders that I work with and acting to facilitate their capacity to find solutions to the problems that they have, right? So we always started with the problem. Um, I, I think... You know, when we talked about fintech six or seven years ago, I mean, we can always reflect on Jamie Dimon, who talked about the fact that fintechs were going to eat our lunch and it was all over and they were going to disintermediate the banks and so forth. What we learned is that just simply wasn't the case. But I do think when we started talking about fintech a few years ago, the reason that banks had an interest in it is they were trying to make sure that they were putting on the right flak jackets or helmets to protect themselves from the attack that fintechs supposedly were going to uh, engage with them. That has changed now to me. I think you've heard me say it before. I think the banks that are embracing fintech and look at fintech as a partnership, and I really think it is fintech equals partnership, recognize the value of things like the charter that they have, their capacity to manage the regulatory and compliance issues as it relates to working with fintechs, et cetera. But I think also that banks have become more courageous in their willingness to work with fintechs. Um, and we see that with small banks that are sub couple hundred billion, you know, who are working with a dozen or more fintechs to obviously the bigger banks. The other thing too is I think they recognize that they don't have to build stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's the constant question of build, buy, or partner. And I always suggest you have to pick two, right? You know, it's sort of like, you know, faster, cheaper, or 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 better, right? Those sort of things. But I think a lot has changed, but I think. One of the big things that's changed and where this all begins and is effective is when you start with a culture of the organization and a willingness to take risk, right? We tend to look at bankers as being risk adverse. And I will challenge you to think about that differently. Bankers are actually people who have a great capacity to mitigate risk. Mm-hmm. Remember, they're lending money to people like me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So they have to be sure about how to mitigate that risk to the best of their ability. And I think that one of the things that we have a responsibility to as we work with early stage companies is to help give them the data that makes them comfortable to mitigate that risk so that they want to do business with that fintech. I'm sure you remember, it wasn't long ago when a fintech would do business with a bank and the bank would say, great, I want to put your code in escrow. Mm -hmm. Don't think we do much of that today. There's still a um, pretty small appetite for companies that have only been in business for a couple of years because of the potential impact reputation otherwise for the bank. But we get a lot more fintechs doing a lot more business with banks today. Well, let's, and let's zoom into like right now. So we're coming out of a very extended cycle of great economy, banks for the most part, other than a really low interest rate environment, we're generally doing pretty well, which is a pretty remarkable time frame. We're now entering a higher interest rate environment, which is often good for banks, but potentially, you know, we're seeing a recession looming or 
already in it, depending on what data you point to. So what do you think is different now with regard to banks and fintechs as we come into this new year? Um, I think from the fintech side, you know, we've seen obviously a huge impact on valuation. The other thing too is I think if you look at the marketplace and and listen, you know, you and I spent some time at Money 2020 together walking around and looking at the hundreds of companies that were there, it was remarkably how many companies are doing the same thing, but maybe just a little bit different, right? Mm -hmm. I think we see in the fintech space, we see a ton of companies that are features or mm -hmm. products and not necessarily companies. This reminds me a lot of like 98 to 2000, 2001. I mean, we always reflect back or I do on the number of search engines that there were. I think there mm -hmm. were 25 or 30. So, I mean, when you look at some of the solutions, so I think, I think we're going to see a lot of consolidation. I think valuations got away from us and I think that's correcting, which is really good. Um, but I also think too, you know, and you know, you make, make a little bit of fun in the beginning here about I make the comment all the time if nobody buys what you're selling you don't have a business well if nobody sees a path to profit they're not investing in you anymore mm -hmm. and I think that's actually a good thing for the most part but I think that depends on where you fall are you truly a startup you were early stage you a growth stage company we have over time you know my team at the venture center and working with the bankers determined ultimately that working further upstream with companies that could be what we refer to as being bank ready or shovel ready made a difference, right? So, and that helped to mitigate some of that concerns. Well, these guys don't have any revenue. They haven't been in business very long. I'm not comfortable with the founder. You know, we tried to identify some of those stuff. So I think from the FinTech side, that's um, some of the things to, to, to be conscientious about. And I know we are, as we sort of not, not apply the brakes, but tap the brakes a little bit as we look at making investments and, you know, I think the good companies that have those things in place will continue to get investment. And I think we're seeing that and we're making those investments. Mm -hmm. that, that's sort of the fintech perspective. So let me stop there and then I'll talk about the bank perspective if you'd like. Yeah. And I was just saying, do you think that will slow innovation down in the next few years? I don't think so. I, I think we're innovating. I think, I think two things. I think this little thing called a pandemic really, you know, fueled that fire. I mean, that was yes. sort of nitroglycerin underneath this thing and blew it up, right? I mean- you know, how many people do you know that are over 65 now that get groceries delivered that certainly didn't before the, you know, I mean, so, so how we pay, how we, how we function and so forth and, and our, and our dependability on that. So uh, no, I think, I, I don't know if I say this correctly, but what is it? Never let a good uh, crisis uh, prevent go to waste. Yeah. Yeah. Go to, go to waste. But no, I, I absolutely think, um, I think we're innovating at a faster pace. And I think part of that's because there was so much money pumped into our, mm -hmm. to, to FinTech but again, I think it's it spawned a lot of features and products and not necessarily sustainable companies. Yeah, the, the concern I have at times is will a turbulent economy slow banks down from adopting new capabilities because it gives them at least a short-term plausible excuse? You know, I, I, I think there's a thesis around that, but, you know, We've been talking to a bunch of banks the last few weeks, you know, and one of the things we've been talking about a lot is, is real-time payments, RTP, and, you know, an awful lot of, um, uh, you know, grousing for the right reason around things like Zelle and the cost of Zelle, et cetera, particularly for a smaller institution, mm -hmm. right? I don't I don't know that, that that there's equity between what a smaller bank or a community bank potentially pays for software versus a larger bank. I mean, I think there needs to be some some somebody to take a harder look at that and, and also from the fintech's perspective. But, you know, I just think, at the end of the day, that the client, whether from a commercial or a retail perspective, is driving a lot of this, right? The other thing that I think is a huge challenge for banks today is just 
when you think demographically, not geographically, and we can talk about that because there's a big change there, I think, as well. But when you look at the fact that you've got, you know, those who are under 25 want to apply for a car loan on their, you know, they want to be watching their favorite television show or a football game and applying for a car loan and getting an answer in 30 seconds or less, right? But yet, you know, somebody who's, you know, 60 plus still might like to write a check and balance their statement. So I think one of the great challenges for banks is marketing effectively to these different demographics right. who have who have different um, different behaviors as it relates to how they function from a financial perspective. That's so, a huge, and even just the cost to serve those different groups. Absolutely. Because yeah. you have this whole existing infrastructure for people that want to do it in person, many of whom have shifted other behaviors to digital. But then you have, you know, this younger demographic that doesn't even recognize an in-person need for banking. So trying to work with both of those at the same time, you're almost doubling your your costs. That's that's a significant uh, undertaking for a small institution. Well, I think you, you hit it on the head too. It's it's about digital transformation, but I think we continue to, and I think it's the right thing. We let our customers help help to dictate that, and and being able to 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 be agile enough to be able to affect change to support that, I think is really important. So I think that's a, that's a big piece of it. You know, from from the bank's perspective, you know, first of all, let's start start with digital transformation. You know. We've spent a lot of years talking about why banks need to do this. Mm -hmm. And I really think last year, and I'll kind of give Charles a Potts, who I work with very closely, um, you know, he said, you know, we need to be start need to start talking about how. And, and I think Bank Tech Ventures has also embraced that. Um, and I know as I look forward to this next year and trying to kind of reimagine the work that I'm doing from this perspective for the ICBA, I, I see 50% of my job as as working on that from an educational perspective. And you know, how are we um, educating banks to be able to effectively make this digital transformation based on the criteria that you and I have talked about today, who who they are serving, whether that's ag, whether that's small business, whether that's commercial, whether that's retail, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. I, I do think banks are in an interesting position. You know, we talk about the increase in interest rates. You know, it's funny, as much as we talk about the increase in interest rates, they're still not that bad. You know, mm -hmm. we're still talking six percent, right? And you and I can certainly remember probably paying twelve or sixteen percent for a car loan, you know, at some point in our lives, right? So, so you know, so it's it, and I think that's that's again, I don't want to pay any more interest to anybody else, but for the banks to make a little bit of money, obviously now is is good for them. The other thing too is, you know, the government, you know, shoveled a lot of cash into the marketplace that people put in the banks. So the mm -hmm. but so but we're we're in another cycle of de, of a need for deposits, right? So. Deposit gathering is something now, again, that banks are concerned about. And there seems to be some level of de demarcation there, which I'm learning is there's a difference between how they view that above $2 billion, it seems, and under $2 billion. That's not a well-formed thought or thesis at this point, but I'm learning that as I go along. But I do think that's a big issue. And the other thing is that banks are starting to think, they're not thinking as, as much geographically. They're not thinking, mm -hmm. they're thinking about communities beyond their own communities geographically and focusing on niche, niche opportunities where they're able to generate that non-interest income in a way that they've never been able to do that before. And there are technologies that are enabling that to occur to both obviously approach new markets, gather deposits, and grow their income, right? So I think that's pretty interesting yep. stuff. Well, let's go a little bit deeper into that how. So just a level set, right? We've got about 5,000 banks still in the U.S., very unique. Not everybody recognizes that that is a unique aspect of the United States financial system, different from any other country in the world. 
And I know you and I both believe that our economy is better with more banks serving these unique needs of, of these various communities, like you described, historically tended to be geographic in nature, increasingly can be segmented or divided in a number of different ways. So in your mind, like what will help keep more of them in business and thriving in the years ahead? First of all, I think I think just to take a, a step back, you know, one of the there's two statistics that I'm always kind of fascinated with, and I re and I repeat them often, which is, you know, community banks provide, and, and look, you know, you, you got a father who sits on the board of a community bank in in, in Indiana, and and so, and, and I look at how community banks have touched me in my life and the number of businesses. I mean, they gave me my first mortgage, mm -hmm. they helped me fund a company, they helped me grow a business from one shop to five shops. So, you know, without community banks, had I relied upon which I started to going to the big banks, you know, I was quickly sent out the door you know, with my 40 page business plan that nobody mm -hmm. read, right? What we can't forget is the importance that community banks play in our communities. They are 80% of agricultural loans and they are 50% of small business loans, right? So considering that, one of the things that you and I have seen in companies that have come through not only the accelerator programs, but have come across our threshold in our funnel as we relates to bank tech ventures is how that technology is helping that community bank better serve small businesses, for example, mm -hmm. right? Like like we look at a company like Upswat, right? So the ability to take the data that they have and make the businesses in their communities more effective and potentially more profitable, I think is a great opportunity. And I think through that, they can expand their presence in their communities and become more relevant and more important to that so that they protect themselves, if you will, from the big banks you know, you, you don't have to come into a community today and build a branch to be successful. Mm -hmm. You can you can cherry pick those people electronically. And I think that's the other thing we need to help them with and they need to help themselves with as well is how do we, you know, I, I refer to it as leak detection, right? How do I know? I mean, you look at my bank account because I, I experiment with things. Like I have a Prosper account for a couple 300 bucks because I want to see what they do. One of the things I'll tell you they do is they market to me incredibly effectively on mm -hmm. almost a daily basis. And frankly, do a better job than my community bank does. So I, I use that as a platform to say, look, here's what the competition, if you will, is doing. And the people are trying to cherry pick me from, or at least they're taking deposits or part of that deposit away. So anyway, I, I, you know, again, a, a topic we could go on for, for, for hours and hours about. Well, some great, I mean, great comments in their way. And I mean, this has been a common theme with some of the other recent podcast conversations I've had. Like, where can banks learn how to do some of these things better? And often it's not even their peer community banks. They may have to look outside to other competitors like a Prosper, like you mentioned, or even maybe other industries. Maybe they pick up on a restaurant in their community who's doing a really good job of marketing to their community and say, hey, we should be partners with them and we should emulate some of the the things that they're doing to grow their business because at the end of the day a bank is also a business gosh who was i talking to and i'm sorry if i forget but we were talking about the fact that in their marketplace they had a mcdonald's franchisee right who had 30 odd units right and the bank decided to wait a minute here what if we were able to support their pos system with inside of those 30 units and then could that proliferate into other McDonald's franchises, right, et cetera? Mm -hmm. So I think it's that type of thinking where these sort of niche plays exist that can create great opportunities and help preserve these banks 
so they aren't fully dependent on the geographic environments that they have. And, you know, gosh, Carrie, we and I, you and I know dozens of banks that have done this very successfully in, in, in niche areas. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you look at Tab, right, who focused on trucking, right? I mean, there, there's there's a number of examples that we can give. I do think, though, that we've also seen, you know, from the ICBA's perspective, and you've been active with some of these state associations, you know, we look at CBAI and stuff like that, how these bank associations are relying on their peers because there is a strong advocate or two within that organization who says, look, guys, here's what I'm doing. I really think you need to look at this as well. Mm-hmm. And maybe we need to establish this innovation committee and get some other people involved. But again, I think we have to do a better job of making them feel comfortable in, in comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? That's that right. educational piece, I think, falls back on us. You know, a lot of people will suggest that kind of, you know, community bankers to some degree are lemmings. I don't like that term. I don't disagree with that to some degree from the standpoint that, you know, they're more likely to lead by the, 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 the there's more followers than there are leaders. I yeah, think when fast, you look they at want that, to fast follow yeah, what they see working. Right. Yes. And, and, and again, I, I don't, that, that's not a criticism. It's an observation. Mm-hmm. And I get it because again, being people who want to be effective at mitigating risk, they want to make sure they understand the risks before they take them and do that effectively because ultimately mm-hmm. they want to preserve their business, which in many instances may be fourth or fifth generation. Right. So I, I understand that. So, Absolutely. yeah, I mean, I, I think that's definitely a thing for sure. Well, how do you think of I mean, you, you sort of, you know, mentioned a couple of ideas there. Let's just give you a chance to maybe go a little deeper, even, you know, I mentioned this, this economy that we're now in that could be an excuse to, to slow down on, uh, adopting new things, but it also is when a lot of people are really opportunistic and take advantage. I remember during the the last financial crisis, as an example, that the quality of loans that the bank that my family's been involved with increased dramatically because they became a preferred lender because in many cases they were willing to lend at a time others weren't. So how how do you think about our advice to banks in an environment like this? You know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that. And, and, you know, one of the things is I've been determining kind of how I'm going to focus the ICB's efforts now that we, you know, this program is inside the organization and institutionalized is, you know, as we enter into this recessionary time, what is it that we can do? What sort of technology, what sort of innovations can we be, you know, kind of uh, looking for to be supportive? And remarkably, there hasn't been a lot of response that has been directed to that specifically. Most of the bankers that we work with in the community side have been through these sorts of experiences before the most recent, of course, being 2008 with the collapse of the housing market and so forth. So I don't know that it's necessarily a time for war. And I think what's the old expression, you know, prepare for for war in times of peace. What I see is a, a greater interest in the banks to take more control of their own destiny as it relates to technology and innovation and kind of wanting to take control back from the cores, right? Mm. Who have been their source for innovation for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about analogies and metaphors, you know, one of the things that, that I mentioned to you before is this whole issue of connectivity, right? And, you know, we are fortunate at Bank Tech Ventures to have an investment in, in, in Modusbox and to Portex because, you know, I use the metaphor all the time. If you want to tow something, the first thing you got to do is put a hitch on your car. Mm-hmm. Now, once I got that hitch on my car, I can tow my boat, I can tow my motorhome, I can tow whatever I want, my, you know, my leaves to the dump. But without that, I can't do that. I can't tie it on there with a string. It, it's, sure. You know, there's there's compliance, right? There's regulatory, there's licensing, there's that kind of stuff. I believe this this is the same thing. I think 
the cores are the cores. And, and I know there's a high level of frustration in the banks in dealing with the cores. I think they've felt extorted over time by the cores to some degree, and rightfully so. And I think some of the cores have been more innovative in their practices. I think they're very expensive to work with. But one thing they are good at is they're really good at being cores, right? That's what yep. they do best. So the and and the, so much of the data that the banks rely upon is there. So if we can create this connectivity, if we can create this trailer hitch, right? Then we put ourselves in a position from an API perspective today that being able to attach to that in more of a of a menu driven fashion to serve our customers more effectively and do that in a hey, you know, I want a number two and a number three, right? And and and, and supersize it. You know, we we can do that through this layer of connectivity. I think a lot easier. So. You know, I think that's a great place to begin. But again, they need to be shown how to do that and do that effectively. And, and I do think that's much of the future of community banking because it, it does enable them to, again, take more control of that core data. But the other thing, too, we can never forget about community banks, Kerry, is the importance of the, of the, of the generational relationships they have built in their communities, mm -hmm. right? You know, I mean, you know, I, I just having moved from Arkansas back to, to Delaware, Tony and I just changed banks and opened up in a community bank here, you know, and, and I went there to open the account and, and I did it because I wanted to meet the banker and I want, I wanted her to meet me. They're an ICBA member. So that was sort of cool and the whole thing. So, but, you know, I have a relationship there now and, mm. you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a, a bad bank customer. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, a millionaire putting millions of dollars into her bank, but you know, we, 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 we're, we're good, we're good banking customers and, and I'll, and I'll leverage as many of the resources that they want to give us to make our lives better here. But those relationships, and I always like the way Kevin Tweddle sort of said it, you know, look, we got to find that balance between high touch and high tech, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great, uh, great analogy and, and, and great way to, to summarize. Well, you, you talked about uh, a couple of things that you're hearing from a lot of your bank conversations on their agenda right now, like deposits, like real-time payments. What are some things you think should be on community banks' agendas for this year that maybe you're not hearing? I'm very passionate about financial health and wellness. Mm -hmm. and, and and I don't I don't feel as though that is as front and center as 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 I think it should be. And that's me mm -hmm. speaking. You know, um, you know, I keep this sort of triangle on my on my whiteboard that talks about financial, physical, and mental health, right? I think those three things are inextricably connected. I think I would love to see the banks lead this effort instead of follow this effort. And what I mean by that is I believe genuinely that if our employees, for example, have a better level of financial health and wellness, that they're going to be more productive. They're going to be more loyal. We can attract more employees, better employees that way and so forth. And and that's one of the other things, by the way, that sits at the top, and it's probably the number one issue for banking today is how do I attract and retain employees, right? Because mm -hmm. we got to figure out a way to kind of make banking cool again, and I think we're working on that. I think we're, we're I think some of the things that we're doing at Bank Tech Ventures and the banks are doing is, is 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 doing that, right? So, you know, I think that's one of the things I'd like to see a little bit more focus on. I think that they should be paying more attention to some of the things that they don't know what they don't know about, which is things like the leakage of, of, of money out of their institutions. And I think we're finding technology now that's enabling us to do that. I think there have been some opportunities with things like BNPL, which has sort of gone full cycle now. But I think being able to provide services to the businesses in their communities that enables them to provide some sort of credit 
you know, instrument for them to be able to, whether it's sell a roof or a new bathroom, whatever it might be. Um, again, there, I think there's ways for us to manage that more effectively. I think there's ways for them to consider equipment inventory and the financing of that more effectively and so forth. So I think there's a hundred things that they can be thinking about that maybe they haven't thought about before. And I think part of that's just raising their head out of the bank and looking around their communities to see where that is. And, and then, like I said, you earlier, thinking differently about community, hmm. right? Thinking about, you know, if there's, if there's a lot of chicken farms in their rural area, what are they doing, you know, to support that, et cetera. So I, I don't know. It's, uh, there's there's a lot of really good thoughts there. That's that's uh, I think things that we can further develop to take out to them. I mean, you know, one that I I even take away is looking at every part of your business operation and assuming it's probably something you should be digitizing in a meaningful way, because really the the days of this being a business that moved any real weight around actual dollars is rapidly diminishing, particularly in younger generations that have no uh, inclination to actually carry physical money around in any way, shape or form. I mean, I don't carry any cash. And and even my sister who, my sister is a, is a jeweler. And so I bought a piece of jewelry from her from, from my wife for Christmas. And so I said, well, how, do you, how do you want me to Venmo you? She said, no, I need you to send me a check. <laughs> I, I said, Sandy, I said, come on, you got, we got to fix that. Right. And, and I will tell you that I didn't have any checks left. So I had to go out mm -hmm. and buy checks in order. To, but anyway, we're, you and I are very comfortable with that. Well, along those lines, I mean, you get to see so many of these exciting new companies like I do. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, some of these are just features or uh, they're maybe becoming a, a product, but not yet a company. Um, and some are in business to disrupt or disintermediate existing financial institutions, and some do want to be helpful. They see how they can be additive to these existing companies. What what do you feel like is the consistent advice you find yourself giving to them? Well, it goes back to the fundamental premise that you know I, I think about as I look at at these companies like you do. I mean, you know, obviously, are they transformative? Is their tech interesting? There's all this sort of investor questions that you and I ask, right? As we as we look at these things, and do we value the team? So, you know, there's always a little bit of a litmus test they have to get past to even have a conversation with you and I. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but it's just there's a lot of great companies out there. But, you know, I I do think what I tend to define things with very rapidly is is this going to make a bank money or is it going to save a bank money, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then the next question is, you know, how easy is it to integrate? right? The cost of the software oftentimes can be uh, shadowed by the, the cost of integration when working with a core, right? And that gets mm -hmm. a little bit tough at times. So the first thing, does it, does it make you money? Or does it save you money? The next thing is, is, you know, you know, do, do you have customers and, 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 and what are they saying? I mean, it, you know, one of the reasons I think we went further upstream was because when you have customers, then obviously you have some validation. So, you know, are you proving concept? Because that's a different type of company as opposed to proving value, right? And I think the companies that you and I are working with today are much more on the proving value side, right? Mm -hmm. So they they're in market, uh, their 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 concepts have been proven and so forth. And not to invalidate by any means those companies that are that are startups that are trying because that that's a whole different world mm -hmm. where 
you know, we look forward to obviously doing some seed investing and helping to build some of those things as well. But, you know, the reason that the, the accelerators enjoyed the, the success that they did and will continue to, you know, as the Venture Center and obviously in the work that I'm doing at ICBA respectively, is I think there's been two things that have been very important to that. The first thing is bringing buyers to the table to engage in a collaborative environment that enables these companies to, to take the time to listen. Shut up. God gave you two ears and one mouth. There's a reason for that, right? Mm -hmm. And look, I'm a guy that talks too much, so that's a little bit hypocritical, right? But, <laughs> but, 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 but the point is, is that, you know, if you're building a company and you're trying to sell a product or services and you get that opportunity to sit down with customers in a safe environment that's not really sales oriented, always a little bit of a lie, right? Because you're always selling to some degree. But I get a chance to sit down with Carrie Ransom from Carrie Ransom Bank and Trust and talk about, here's the problem. Here's my solution. What do you think? And how do we collaborate? The value of that's remarkable. And, mm -hmm. and you know, it, it doesn't, it oftentimes doesn't take much to redirect. It's two or three degrees in many instances, or it's, you know, I, I look at one company that always comes to mind, which is, I love it. It's a great test cop solution. Have you thought about making it mobile? And they did, and it changed the trajectory of that company mm -hmm. like that, right? Just, mm -hmm. just in an instance. And, and the other thing too is the company reacted to it and performed against, or, you know, performed with that advice, right? So, you know, I, I, again, I, I think, you have to have a meaningful value proposition. And I think you have to be able to clarify that quickly. And, you know, I think you have to demonstrate that you've got the grit and the resilience and all the things that make for good founders and, and any startup, right. That, that, you know, oftentimes is very differentiating for you and I, you and I tend to lean hard into founders and, mm -hmm. and, and evaluate them. Um, you know, we know factually that, that, that a moderate idea with a great founder is a better investment than a great idea with a, lousy founder you know mm -hmm. day in and day out so it'll go with that but you know anyway i i think um you need to understand your your market and the impact and and then the other thing too is 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 what you're doing scalable right mm -hmm. and i do think sometimes though we tend to marginalize companies that we don't think will be unicorns and i don't like that mm -hmm. because you know a 50 million dollar business ain't a bad deal mm -hmm. right it's not a bad business. And, and in the software industry with the margins, that can generate a pretty healthy living for somebody. We call them lifestyle businesses. Okay. I mean, that's okay. I mean, I, I, right. I, I applaud those guys because you know what? Most of them will build $50 million business after $50 million business after $50 million business, and they'll retire at 45 and they'll keep doing that, right? They sure. just keep on that cycle. So I don't know. L long answer to your question as usual, sorry. Well, you know, a lot of the slides... You know, and we both have, Wayne, but you, you've had a pretty adventuresome career as an entrepreneur, as an executive. Uh, as you look back on those experiences that I, I always feel like are the ones that shape us into who we are today, um, what are ones that really stand out to you that that have made you who you are today as you work with uh, bankers and, and entrepreneurs? Well, I think you and I share... A, a, a lot of common thinking when it comes to that, because we've had the, the, the first thing is, look, I, there's very little that we accomplish on our own today, right? Mm -hmm. So be smart enough to know what you don't know and surround yourself with people who have great capacity and who are, who are curious and who are smart and, you know, maybe practice some things that make us a little uncomfortable at times, but, you know, you and I are a little bit more interested in asking for forgiveness than, than for permission, right? So, but the other thing too is the people of I who I had touched my life, mentors in my life. I mean, I think about running an ice cream store as you know, as, as a kid, I was 17 years old and 
a guy by the name of Mark Irwin taught me how to run a restaurant by doing a weekly P&L and understanding what profitability was. And as I got into the restaurant business, that was so important to me. Mm-hmm. And I made money in that business and I did it three times and a lot of people never do, right? And and I and I give Mark credit for showing me how to make money and make sure I monitor that, et cetera. So, you know, there's been some some great people that, and that's one of the reasons I love doing the work I do because I feel like I have a responsibility to pay a lot of that forward, right? Um, so I, I think people are, are critical. The other thing too is, you know, the first time I raised a lot of capital was for my dot-com. I raised my first tranche was 8 million and I raised another 10 on top of that. And I'll never forget the guy who was my lead investor. You know, as I stayed up till three o'clock in the morning, trying to refine my pitch and my deck and try to get it perfect every time. Mm-hmm. Mark said, Wayne, go, go get some sleep. You don't have to get it perfect. You just have to get it right. And those words continue to resonate in my mm-hmm. head every day of my life because perfection truly is the enemy of good. And you know, and and but but part of that is also saying, okay, look, Carrie, I have I have had some significant failures in my life in in business, and also some significant successes. The 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 failures shape us more than the successes, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. And, but the learning that we get from that, the other thing too is, it's pretty great that today, we we think about failure more as learning, and we embrace it a lot with a lot less embarrassment, perhaps than we did historically, you know, I mean, I know when my dot-com failed, I didn't really talk about that for about three years. And to some degree may even have had a little bit of PSD from, you know, PTSD mm-hmm. from that, if you will, you know, so, but, but now I talk about it as my MBA and a great learning experience, right? So those things have helped to shape me. The other thing is, is that to your point earlier, I've had the privilege of working in a lot of different businesses. And, you know, it's remarkable to me how, having been in the restaurant business or having been in retail businesses and also in large organizations, corporations, little things that I learned while there having served me and with the work that I do today still, right. Just Mm -hmm. from having that different perspective, because one thing for sure is that you and I have not been, and I can speak for myself. I shouldn't speak for you, but I I know this about you. So I'll say this is that, you know, I haven't been a lawyer my whole life and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that, but, but it's a more myopic perspective, if you will. Right. And, and like I said, there's nothing wrong with being a lawyer or I haven't done one thing my whole life. I've done a lot of different things. Now, my father will tell you that it was demonstrated that I could not hold a job. <laughs> but, but, but I but resemble I that you, a little bit. Well, you know, and you know, there's, there's, there's nothing that I would do differently because the learning that I gained from that and the variety of industries that I've served has been, uh, has just been invaluable. And, and like I said, I carry those, those, those gems, those opportunities, those people, those mentors, and those successes and failures with me every day in my life. So again, uh, feel strongly about that. Absolutely, brother. What are you most excited about this year? You know, great question. You know, first of all, I'm I'm really excited to be in my new job. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I loved the work that I was able to do, the people, the team, and everything that we had down at Little Rock. But, you know, six and a half years, or five and a half years there, almost six years there, I was really also... Um, glad to, to, to make that change, right. To, to move forward, you know, and, and, and to give that mantle to someone else to, to manage and, and wish them the best and want to continue to be helpful to them any way I can be. I think for me this year, it's taking a step back and not wanting to do what I've already done, but rather how do we reimagine the work that we do? And I'm thinking this whole concept for me now is about what I refer to as perpetual acceleration. Mm. So it's not so much event-based. It's kind of, you know, we go, we set up the tent sort of like the circus and do our thing, but look at, look at innovation much more perpetually. Right. 
the other thing too is to be more targeted in the efforts, right? So, you know, 10 companies, 10 different solutions, great approach. And it's worked very well for, for the years that I've done this, but do we want to choose a topic or two and drill down more deeply as long as we can keep it non-competitive so that it's more relevant? And can I generate more interest and more adoption inside of community banking by taking that approach and making it more targeted? Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that the feedback that I've had from the bankers has been yes. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited to build a center of excellence in Atlanta. Um, that's going to happen in the next six months, uh, standing it up. I'm excited about putting a new team together. I'm excited for the work that we're doing at Bank Tech Ventures and the, the, the response from our LPs, the returns that we're starting to provide, the way in which our team continues to work together. I mean, our last visit in Nashville, getting together, you know, as, as the general partners with the BTV team was just extraordinary. I mean, yes, we had fun, had a good stake and, you know, got a chance to go out and listen to somebody play, uh, what was the song that Charles had to give up a hundred bucks for? Anyway, uh, it, was, it, was, it was pretty awesome, whatever it was. I mean, we, we you know, we're, we're lucky. We're, we're very fortunate. We get to have a little bit of fun in all this as well. Yes. But I, I'm excited for how we're rethinking, how we're investing this year. And like I said, we're not hitting mm -hmm. the brakes. We're just trying to slow things down a little bit. And what opportunities will those, what challenges and opportunities will that, will those present for us? And, and how will we grow from that process? And then, you know, there's an awful lot of dry powder lying around, my friend. Mm -hmm. And 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 I hope we can get into the business of tapping on building some stuff and doing some foundry work and and moving into categories. I mean, one of the things I'm really excited about with the ICBA, for example, is is exploring ag, also health, uh, financial wellness. So it just seems like the the horizon is just filled with opportunity. And regardless of how dark some people may think it is. I think it's brighter than ever. And I'm, I'm jazzed. So and I know you and I've had this conversation. I think it's a, I think it's a really exciting time for, for, for financial technology. And, and lastly, this year, more than ever, we're going to define FinTech as being part of everything. Mm. Right. Cause it is, you know, people used to say to me at the venture center a couple of years ago, well, you guys, the only thing you're focused on is FinTech. And I shake my head and say, yep, that message is going to expand for us and create a bunch of opportunities. I think we're very lucky to be where we are. Yeah. Well, and your energy is so infectious, Wayne. So I, I appreciate that. We're running up against time. I got a final question for you, um, which is sort of a little bit of, of a, this transition, I think, is we've seen, you know, this big tech and fintech even uh, set of layoffs happen over the last couple quarters. Uh, and, it just seems like an opportunity for banks. And obviously we spend a lot of time with banks and in, in what we do with bank tech. What do you think banks can do better to attract this younger digitally native talent that I think we both believe they need to continue to help them transform? I'll reflect back on my earlier statement a little bit. I would love to see the banking industry lead this concept of financial wellness mm. as a benefit, financial mm -hmm. health as a benefit. And what better group of people to bring into the fold to help us do the, the, uh, the, the excavation work or the archaeology that's required to figure that out? That, you know, look, Carrie, it's a giant elephant, yes. right? I don't think putting another app on a cell phone into somebody's hand who's underserved or underbanked or just young and doesn't know how to manage money effectively, or we want to call them financially illiterate, is the answer. Mm -hmm. And I love this. I love this path to that solution through employees. And shouldn't we consider as bankers who are 
the 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 uh, the, the custodians of people's money be the ones that lead this effort. I don't, I asked that question. I don't know if it's the right or wrong thing, but it seems to me like if we can do that, maybe we can attract young folks to come work in an environment where they can help others accomplish that. Because one thing I believe about this generation of workers, besides the fact that they like to work at home as opposed to the office, right? We've learned that <laughs> is, is they, they, they want their work to have purpose. Yes. Right. And, and they want to give their money to things that matter. So why can't banks help them find a way to direct that purpose that helps people in their community live better lives and grow wealth? Because we know the way to a better life is through the acquisition of wealth and assets, which enable us to do other things, right? Mm -hmm. So when you look at how people get out of poverty and grow wealth, it's typically because there was an asset at play, right? Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people out there financial health network and other people that I've, I know and talk to, and you know, I'm involved with that, that have much deeper opinions and understand better understanding of the research there. But I, I think that would be one place to, to look at that. The other thing too, is, um, you know, again, I think you gotta, you gotta take some risks and, and maybe hire some people that you typically wouldn't hire to come in and just take a peek around. I think we'll see a lot of consultancies kind of you know innovation as a service type of mm -hmm. stuff i think that's that's coming uh i think obviously we're, we're working we you know we're, we're getting ready to do a very big program at the icba that's a five-part series that starts i think the end of this month on digital transformation so i think again a lot of education and uh and and given folks an understanding that going to work for a bank is not about being a teller maybe that's where you need to begin but there's other opportunities there. So uh, I think it's an exciting time. I really do. Well, as, as we sometimes say within our team at, at BTV, um, we need to help make banking cool again. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, so I think the story, some of the, some of the story points there that you offer, I think are really, really useful. Well, Wayne, I'm so grateful for our friendship and our partnership. And, you know, we always have such fun conversations. I knew we would have a fun one that we could record today. So thanks for doing that. And I'm excited as well for this year ahead. So uh, let's let's keep moving forward. Yeah, man, Kerry, thank you. I, I again, the privilege of knowing you, working with you, growing what we're doing, serving the banks that are LPs and, and making a difference in community banking, you know, your roots coming from that with your family, etc. You know, we, uh, I think, we all come about these feelings pretty honestly and viscerally. And I think that makes a difference in our passion to do this work, but thank you for the privilege of being a part of the podcast today. And I look forward to uh, probably talking to you tomorrow, man. So we'll go for all that. right, we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of operate podcast. If you like this conversation as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us or subscribe or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at operate podcast until next week, get out there and operate.